Welcome. This is Indisputable. I'm Sharon Reed in for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. And joining us today is our special guest host, Jessica Burbank, TYT contributor. Always love having her commentary. Let's uh, launch right into it. This one is a heartbreaker. The FBI has announced they will not make an arrest in the Shanquilla Robinson case. So many have been paying attention to this since we first got that graphic video. Uh, this young woman will not apparently get justice. Her family won't. The U.S. Attorney's Office in North Carolina announced on Wednesday they will not pursue criminal charges in the case of Shanquella Robinson, with the FBI and federal prosecutors both ending their investigations into her mysterious death. Robinson will remind you, age 25, she died in October under suspicious circumstances. That was a day after she arrived in Cabo, Mexico. She was on vacation with six people. The FBI opened an investigation into her death in November. The six travelers who were with Robinson gave conflicting explanations as to how she died. They reportedly told her mother she died of alcohol poisoning, while her death certificate shows she died of severe spinal cord injury and atlas luxation, a broken neck is what that means. Her family members have said Robinson's body showed bruises consistent with being beaten. Robinson's story has gone viral and Mexican authorities have issued an arrest warrant for femicide, similar to homicide, for Dejani Jackson, one of the six travelers, according to lawyers for her family, Benjamin Crump and Sue Ann Robinson. Those lawyers wrote a letter to the White House in March, citing information from Mexican prosecutors. U.S. officials on Wednesday made clear there is no criminal suspect stemming from the FBI investigation, but did not specify the Department of Justice or Department of State's position for extradition. However, there's more. The Department of Justice met with Robinson's family and attorneys Wednesday morning, telling them it has completed its investigation and will not prosecute any of the six. North Carolina U.S. Attorney Sandra J. Hairston and Dina J. King released a joint statement saying this, based on the results of the autopsy and after a careful deliberation and review of the investigative materials by both U.S. Attorney's offices, federal prosecutors informed Mrs. Robinson's family today that the available evidence does not support federal prosecution. The Department of Justice said it would be open to reviewing new information should any come to light. The death of Ms. Robinson has been incredibly difficult for her family and the community. As a matter of policy, federal officials generally do not issue public statements concerning the status of an investigation. However, given the circumstances of Ms. Robinson's death and the public concern surrounding this investigation, it is important to reassure the public that experienced federal agents and seasoned prosecutors extensively reviewed the available evidence and have concluded that federal charges cannot be pursued. Jessica, this is heartbreaking. I uh, don't know about you, but I, I never could watch even a portion of that video that went viral that showed her, as I recall from the explanations, um, naked, being beaten, and somebody disgustingly filming that. And now to have her come back in a body bag and her family have to bury her and nothing, nothing's gonna be done by the feds. 
What's your read on this? Absolutely, you're right. Heartbreaking story. The local coverage here in Charlotte and across North Carolina has been pretty constant for this group that was in Mexico. It's just tragic. Nobody would expect this kind of thing to happen when you're on vacation trying to have a good time. Uh, the family being so concerned, right? Seeing their deceased family member in this state, seeing things that are consistent with someone injuring her while she was still alive, seeing you know the cut on her lip and her having a swollen lip. They know that something happened beyond just alcohol poisoning and an accident. We all know that it was something more than that. And so this case is really calling into question, how does justice happen across borders when we have people traveling so frequently? And the frequency of global travel, we only expect uh, to increase over time. So how are we gonna get justice in cases like this that are complicated because things happen over cross borders? I think now more people are invested in that because of this case. But unfortunately, uh, what the federal prosecutors you know, are saying, that this isn't a, a case for federal prosecution, what the investigators are saying to the public, it's not very reassuring. Uh, we're not getting much from these updates. They're not giving us any information. And I think that makes people more concerned about what if this happens again? I, I couldn't agree more. And, and it makes black people more concerned. Yeah. It feels like and there seems to be enough evidence that black bodies aren't important, that crimes against black women, black people, seems like the Mexican authorities are paying, seems that way, uh, closer attention here. Can we read that into this case or is that unfair? I think it's completely fair, completely fair. If uh, we had a case not so long ago, actually, this isn't even like a fictional case where there's an influencer uh, who mysteriously disappeared while traveling in a van with her partner. Everybody was talking about this. The investigation was extremely thorough. She went missing. Everybody was talking about it online. We don't really see that. I mean, I see it on local news here in Charlotte. We don't see that for this case. Why is it such a double standard when something happens to a black person, a black woman, especially this kind of violence. I think we all want to live in a world where Ben Crump can finally go on vacation. I don't know how he's handling the caseload, but the amount of cases we have of violence against black people in our society and law enforcement doing nothing about it until we have these civil rights attorneys taking the cases. The justice system is not working as it is. Why does Ben Crump have to take all of these cases? And we hear his name so frequently because we have so many cases like this. I want to live in a world where he goes on vacation, to be honest. Yeah, I, I think he deserves it. I think he deserves a nice vacation on an island somewhere where he's not haunted by all of the details that he's had to drink in over, at this point, the past decade. Um, but it's one that we're going to keep following. Hopefully um, something will come of this. Something will come of this. Uh, but we'll move on. Americans uh, who were kidnapped in Mexico are sharing their story. Four black Americans kidnapped by Mexican cartel. Two of the survivors spoke with Anderson Cooper about the incident. They first share about how the kidnapping went down. What happened when you crossed over? We turned down this little side road because we was going to see if that led us to the destination and we was going to turn around. We heard a car beat the horn and pulled around us. Zendel was in the back seat. He said, don't stop. 
he saw a gun. We drove through a few streets and corners until we got back on the main street. Mm -hmm. And that's when a gang of shooting started. Zendale and Shahid, they jumped out to run and they were gunned down. They was at Tay window beating on her window with um, a little gun, probably a nine millimeter. Mm -hmm. And I jumped out of the driver's side. And when I jumped out on the driver's side, that's when I was shot in both legs. We was on the ground for maybe like 10 minutes after they took everything from us. And I guess whoever told them to bring, just go ahead and bring us with them. That's when they loaded us on the back of the truck. So that's the violence that led to them being held hostage. What about the poor medical treatment they received? We rolled probably 10, 15 more minutes and we got to the spot where they was taking us, the investigator interrogated us more. And that's when Shahid said, I love y'all, I'm gone. And he died right there. Those in the were his back last of the words. truck. Yeah, that he loved us and he was gone. That was the last thing he said. And that was in the back of the pickup? Yes, sir. Were you able to say anything to him or? told him I was sorry. The cartel took us to a clinic after we left from the spot where they was questioning us at. They told us, they was like, um, I guess after they kept asking us and our questions, our answers never changed. They said, um, well, we're going to get, get y'all some help. And what kind of treatment did they give you? They put my leg on a two-by-four and then they stitched it up. They, they just stitched it up? Right. Did they give you... No pain medicine or nothing. What about Zendel? Me and him was in the room together. And he was fighting for his life, and... They ain't do nothing. They told... After he didn't fight so long, they was like... They was gonna take him to the hospital. Then they came back, like, maybe an hour later, and it was like he was dead. Just horrific. But there is still more. There was some shocking, bizarre, cruel behavior that they also underwent. Like one of them was sitting by a chair, like, where are you sitting to? And he was looking at something on his phone. And I can remember the sound of that day of when it happened. Like, I can remember the gunshots, the noise, and I heard it. And I asked him, I said, excuse me, is that us? And he said, yes. I said, can I see it? And he was like, hold on. And he turned the phone around and he showed a video of us being kidnapped and stuff like that. The, one of the gunmen actually showed you the video that we've all seen of you being kidnapped on the street. Mm -hmm. you're, you're a woman in custody with cartel gunmen. Were they threatening to you in, in violence, in sexual violence? I mean... Yeah, they said all that stuff. All that. They did? Mm-hmm. Right. They tried to make us have sex with each other, and but... we told them we was brothers we and sisters. We brother and sister, and that she was pregnant. Wait a minute. I, I, they tried to make you have sex with each other? Mm -hmm. What did they say to you? They was like, what are y'all? We said brothers and sisters. And they was like, have sex with each other. I was like, no, these are my brothers. I'm pregnant. How much more horrific can it get You're with your friends on your way to another country for one of your friends to undergo 
and elective surgery, and this happens. Four Americans involved are Latavia Washington McGee, Eric Williams, Jade Woodard, and Zendale Brown. The cartel had likely mistaken this group to be Haitian drug smugglers. Woodward and Brown did not survive the encounter. How McGee and Williams were released by their captors. Let's get into that. Washington McGee and Williams were woken up in a dark room to see a man standing over them with a light. He was like, there's nothing that we can do to bring your two brothers back, but we're sorry. Somebody made the wrong call. They was high and drunk. Washington McGee recalled the man saying, one point, Washington McGee and Williams were blindfolded and taken to a truck. Williams said his friend's bodies were then placed on top of him to keep him hidden. But eventually they were dropped off at a wooden shack where Washington McGee and Williams were rescued on March 7th. The survivors and the bodies of their friends were brought back to the United States. Washington McGee said she tried to escape twice during the ordeal for my brothers to have the proper burial and for us to go back home to our family and kids. The Gulf Cartel apologized for the incident. Yes, apologize. An apology letter was issued by the Gulf Cartel, which is believed to be responsible for the kidnappings, and the group handed over five of its members to local authorities, according to images circulating online and a version of the letter obtained by CNN from an official familiar with the ongoing investigation. CNN cannot confirm the authenticity of the photos and has asked Mexican and U.S. authorities for comment. Now, though investigators believe the letter to be authentic, Mexican and U.S. law enforcement officials participating in the investigation strongly doubt the sincerity of the group's apology. The official who shared the letter with CNN said, at least six people have been arrested in Mexico so far, according to Mexican officials. I I guess it's a large question that I have, a global question with how do we even unpack this, Jessica, the horror, the layers of horror and violence. How do we even process it? It's an interesting world where many mainstream news, and it's especially true for the United States, we get the story, what has just happened? Um, we don't get the context of what's happened through history to lead us to this point. What's the context of what's going on in the system? They really like to frame stories as this unique experience of here. There was a bad actor who did something that was not so good. Here's the the story of, of what happened, keeping it at the individual level. So that's very disconnected from the systemic injustice that's led to situations like this happening. We can't talk about this in a way that's disconnected from history. The United States government Uh, under the Reagan administration and beyond Reagan, sold drugs to the black community especially, and then criminalized crack cocaine way beyond other forms of cocaine. This was all intentional, right? The United States also uh, had the leaders of multinational corporations have deep ties and be the lawyers for multinational corporations and then serve as the head of the CIA and foreign policy establishment. So those people decide we're going to destabilize countries in Latin America so that we can exploit their labor, extract their resources. We could countries all across Central and Latin America uh, from the 70s and beyond. What's the consequence of that? People have a destabilized political system and economy. They're selling drugs and engaging in the illicit economy just to get by selling drugs to the United States, to communities 
that the United States government had a role in getting people addicted to drugs. And then three generations beyond slavery, you have people deciding to travel to another country. They somehow, against all of the odds, have resources and are deciding to do this. It's a whole other scenario that the healthcare in the United States isn't very good. And even if you want elective surgeries, people are going abroad for them. And then you are faced with violence. You're basically mistaken as someone who's a member of a Haitian drug cartel. Meanwhile, while we're championing Ukrainian refugees being taken in by other countries, the Biden administration has deported more Haitian refugees than any other administration. So when you consider all of this, that's going on surrounding this situation, the violence begins far beyond the drug cartel. Uh, and it's it's frequently the same actors in history that we can trace violence back to. Wow. I, what you just chronicled is a reminder that context is everything. It's absolutely everything. And I found myself, it was such horrificness and shocking, okay? Because we're all placing ourselves immediately as soon as we hear of this, like, oh my goodness. What do you do? And I believe the coverage, which was considerable, was because of uh, the shocking act that was caught on camera. I then stepped back and said, if these were fair-skinned people, white people, I think it would have been tenfold. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. We'll not we won't know in this case. But that's where my mind goes yet again, the devaluing of certain people, certain skin colors. And I want your take on that because it seems to fit the context of that narrative, um, that chronicling that you just went through. Yeah, would someone who is white be mistaken for a Haitian member of a drug cartel? Probably not, but let's just imagine there was a world where they were like, okay, uh, we're expecting some kind of shipment or dealing coming from the United States from people who are white and they get the wrong group and they get kidnapped. That video would probably be viral on Facebook. We would probably see constant national coverage of what happened uh, in prime time. And there would probably be attempts to bring justice and actually federal prosecution maybe even for the death that they had to witness of someone who was their close friend and family member. And so, of course, it would it would play out differently. Um, you know, we don't really hear a lot about, I don't know, situations where people are on vacation where something like this happens, where we don't have a video of it, but the compelling nature of being able to watch something unfold. Why are people indifferent and not engaging with the cliques when the victims of violence are, are people who are not white? Right. Wow. That's at the heart of it as well. It's beyond just a racist system of justice. It's beyond racist news. Why are everyday people who are on the Internet indifferent from that? I think people have this mistaken idea that you are only racist if you are denying people rights. Uh, it is racist to see people not as full human beings, to be indifferent to their suffering and their violence. And it's time we have that conversation far more frequently. Wow. Uh, well said, because honestly, it's as if, you know, God forbid, I would have been thinking, are they even going to come for me? Right. I wonder if they were thinking that. Um, excellent commentary, um, Jessica. We'll move on now because this is a heartbreaker. And I, just to look at his picture makes me tear up. It's a heartbreaking story. This young man had courage and Atlanta families in mourning the loss of their teenage son, Bryce Brooks, 
and a family friend. After both drowned during spring break, the trip in an attempt to save a group of kids that they did not know near Pensacola, Florida, sprang into action. According to Shivey and Crystal Brooks, on April 6th, their son Bryce witnessed a group of children he didn't know being pushed by a current at Johnson Beach in Perdido Key, Florida. Appeared to be drowning, Bryce and two others jumped into the Gulf of Mexico waters to save the other children, while three other boys ran to get help. Unfortunately, he began to be pulled under by the strong current and Bryce drowned. That current also took the life of family friend and beloved basketball coach Charles Johnson II, also known as Uncle Chuck. Johnson jumped in to attempt to save Bryce. The children were rescued and four people were transported to local hospitals in the wake of this emergency. The Brooks family said Bryce was an honor roll student, a member of his school's fashion club, loved to make music and always took care of his younger brother. He also appeared on the Netflix show, Instant Dream Home with his family, which a crew secretly renovated their Atlanta home. Quoting, we're never gonna get to see Bryce grow up to be the full man that he was going to be, Crystal said, but we know that he stepped into his manhood to save these children. And that makes me proud doesn't take away an ounce of pain, but it makes me proud of our son. There's a GoFundMe that was started to help the family with funeral costs, and it currently has reached more than 85,000 in donations. We bring you this story because it's one of courage. It's heartbreaking, but I, I couldn't agree more with this mother who's lost and cannot ever replace her precious son when she said he stepped into manhood. It it sounds like he didn't hesitate when he leapt into action and tried to preserve somebody else's life, a life he did not know. What does that speak to in your view? And I mean, within his family structure, the way he was raised and just perhaps inherently him. Yeah, I think it's a a brilliant way to raise a kid with the goal of that when you grow up, you will be of service to others and willing to make sacrifices for other people's lives to make the world a better place. I also think it speaks to younger generations of, of people. There's this theory that Adam Smith had where he was like, human beings became the dominant species on the planet because we learned to work together and accomplish more than we could separately. And now we're at this point where humanity faces so many problems that we're going to have to put the community and other people above our our individual uh, goals, our self-interest, if we wanna continue to survive, right? Climate change is a problem much bigger than us. And I see more and more kids, right? I always say that kids are all right, but making these sacrifices and having this mentality of, We have to take care of each other. We have to make sacrifices for each other, and that makes us better. I think humans are evolving more and more, and this this kind of story is becoming more frequent about young people, about kids. And maybe they're teaching us something, because, you know, I think also what you're saying there, too, is you have to put your own comfort aside, your own comfort aside, and say, you know what? You're a human being. I'm a human being. 
let me do this. I also heard something, well, it's what I didn't hear in the family statements. They've got to be so, I'd be immobilized. I don't know how I would breathe or move. This family is giving praise and honor to their son, not full of what would be understandable, blame or lashing out. It makes me think that I actually have a window into these people who I've never met, but I just have such sympathy and praise for, if you will, Jessica. Yeah, it makes you think a lot about what is what is a hero? What makes a hero a hero? They, they teach us something about how we live our own lives. It's not just them doing the saving in that moment of whoever they're helping. Uh, their impact is much bigger than that. They shape how we carry ourselves in our everyday lives. And as far as I'm concerned, the parents are heroes for how they're reacting to this because I think they're teaching us a lot about grief. Because you could say, why weren't the kids safer while they were swimming? Where were the lifeguards? Where were their parents who let them go in the water, et cetera? You could say all of that. Or you could focus on, let's remember who our son was at his core and what he was doing. He was doing the best he could in that given moment. Uh, and that's beautiful and remembering him that way and detaching yourself from the selfishness of you're gonna miss this person and saying, what, what did he do with his life? How are we gonna remember him? I think it's beautiful. I do too, he made the most of it. And we do wanna once again mention Uncle Chuck who also jumped in, didn't make it, jumped in without thought and tried to save this young man, protect this young man. Much more indisputable. Jessica Burbank, TYT contributor, joins us today. We hope you'll stay with us. We're right back. Welcome back to Indisputable. I'm Sharon Reed and for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. Jessica Burbank is our guest co-host today. Love having her. We do have a few announcements. We'll get through those. Uh, the Webby Awards. Yep, TYT once again nominated for another Webby Award. This time in the viral video category for Anna's passionate rant on abortion rights. Head to tyt.com slash vote. You can cast your vote today. Voting closes April 20th, so you still have time. Now some viewer comments on the show so far. TYT member at Juro Sauce says this about the FBI not making an arrest in the Shaquilla Robinson case. A very stable photographer, pardon me, Crumpcation. Okay, uh, Jessica, you talked about wishing that Ben Crump, the civil rights icon, this incredible, boy, he does have energy for days, a man who goes to every need and every family in need to just being able to rest. And so a very stable photographer says, Crumpcation, you might want to go ahead and get a copyright on that, son. <laughs> Mountain Dragon says, hey, Reed and Burbank, just wanted to send some comfort and love to both of you and all our TYT fam to help with such a horrible case. We need to fight for justice and support each other to the fullest these days. Keep your heads up. Thank you for that, because I don't want to even relate to what the family's going through but the trauma on everyone else too is real. It's real just having to hear and talk about this and get frustrated over another case where justice has not yet been realized. Um, about those Americans who shared their stories, 
about surviving, being kidnapped in Mexico, their two friends killed. Wasn't Mexico known to be dangerous once you cross the border? Majority of the cities in Mexico are known to be controlled by the cartel. Well, okay. Uh, I guess, though, Jessica, you, you've made a point that while we're pointing the finger at everybody else, we have some culpability here, too. Yes? Mm-hmm. Just yeah. a thought. Uh, let's go to YouTube real quick. FBI won't make an arrest in Shaquilla Robinson case. FBI just had someone who signed off without actually investigating. Well, the statement was very clear. They said they don't have the evidence to prosecute, um, but it does seem strange when you have that video out there. Uh, Sheila Chappelle, I can't believe you are allowing these murderers to get away with it. A lot of people feel that way. And about that teenager, that brave teenager who lost his life saving four kids from drowning. Shiva McDeb says, heart is breaking for this family. They raised him right, absolute hero. Perry Anderson says, rest in peace. Noble way to go out, extremely sad story. Indeed it is, thinking about that young man's family. It's just gut-wrenching. We're going to turn the page here, um, and I don't want to shock anyone, okay? But sometimes you open your eyes and something appears that does just that. Um, is that time of the show? And check out the crop top, crop top rather. Uh, I wish you Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a In Sunday? You feel French! Back off! I've had some African American man threatening my life. You. You're gonna tell me I can't have my money, right? Oh my god, you bitch. Now, thank you. Let me show you how much I care about your. Excuse me. Now, I care. Oh my god. Within every inch of my life, the country. Where are you from? Where are you from? Go, please. Thank God. Leave. That's only one thing I've got for you, bitch. Let's go. Let's go. Now I gotta wait for the police. Because if you think I give up, you got me wrong, man. You're sorry. You better be sorry when they take your inheritance. You're stupid. What are we dealing with here? This. And I want to get your take on it, Jessica, but this thought came into my mind that as these Karens one up each other is what it feels like to me, that they seem to be auditioning now. They know they're being recorded. They seem to be auditioning for, I don't know, maybe there is an award, Karen of the Year. I don't know. Um, does it seem like it's getting worse and worse or has it plateaued? I don't know. You tell me. It's giving spring break. It's giving too too many margaritas on the beach, and then why was she in the bank afterwards? Uh, it's also giving Karen angry, Karen smash. She has the vibe of kind of a WWE wrestler here, just wrecking the bank. I don't know what happened. Uh, it's kind of funny. Unfortunately, this means customer service agents have to deal with this kind of behavior because if it's true that they're one-upping each other to go viral for attention, for what, I'm not sure. Uh, this getting worse is a, a real problem. Workers are not paid enough to deal with this in their everyday jobs.
No, they certainly aren't. And and you know what? At one point, and it was horrific, you know, calling names and, and questioning where someone's born and, you know, the typical Karen textbook stuff. But at one point, I did hear one of the innocent parties here gasp or laugh out loud because the behavior was so, as you called it, spring breakish, outlandish, um, disgusting. What do you make of that? Because there does seem to be in a lot of these Karen videos and this Karenicity, as Doc would call it, that moment where you, you, you're shocked and then you have to drink it in, you're forced to, before you react. Yeah, working in customer service is tough. I remember being in my bartending days oh, wow. and getting the kind of vitriol and treatment that no human should treat another person like that. There's this sense that well, you're in this role and it's your job to deal with people like me, no That's matter right. what I say, the customer is always right. And Karen's love taking advantage of that power structure. But I think it's good. The more we laugh, the more we make it known that your behavior is ridiculous, antisocial and unacceptable. I think the less it will happen, the more people, I don't know, treat this like it's normal and stay in their role of being the customer service agent and representing whatever company or bank that they work for well. No, no, if someone's acting like that, you should be allowed to laugh at them. You should be allowed to react in a very human way when someone is treating someone else with disrespect and not behaving properly in public. Yeah, and I think you're right. This should, this has to be called out every single time. Education also, I think Jessica takes many forms and I think this next story is a form of education about Karen's as well as a Karen themed restaurant. Yes, an establishment is set to open in Atlanta, Georgia. Ooh, why didn't I think of this sooner? Popular UK and Australian pop-up restaurant is making its way to the United States now. Karen's Diner will be in Atlanta come October. Got to visit this, baby. Karen's Diner doesn't care and will prove it in October serving up burgers, fries, a soda, games, and rude servers singing, well, slinging karma, if you will, at customers. They might sing it too. $47 per person is the charge. It appears that price doesn't include tip, which you may not want to leave anyway, given the service you know you're willingly paying for. Tickets are non-refundable. You're going to get what Karen gives you and you're not going to make a complaint about it. And if you do, nobody cares. I added that. The pop-up diner experience takes place in an undisclosed location on Peachtree Center Avenue in downtown Atlanta between October 14th and October 15th. Get a Karen while you can. Children under 16 are allowed until 5. Then it becomes adults only. So I guess it amps up after 5 p.m. Okay, they really are going to pop off. Pop-up diner experience takes place, as we said, this October in Atlanta. And while Karen's does promise their signature rude service, according to their website, at no time will employees be allowed to body shame, sexually harass, or reply with racist, sexist, homophobic, oof, or ableist language. Is it really a Karen, though, Jessica? Let's pause there. Is it really a Karen if we're not getting the authentic Karen experience? I don't want to hear those things, but they're out there. And if you're going to call yourself Karen's Diner and embody the true spirit of Karenicity, why would you cut out the meat, if you will? 
Yeah, I'm trying to figure out which way this goes. It's a weird chicken or the egg dilemma, right? Is the the owners of the restaurant and the servers, are they the carrots? Or is it supposed to prevent someone, someone from coming in and acting like a Karen? Because if mm. your server can be rude to you and you're not getting the kind of customer service treatment that Karens are used to, then you're probably not going to go to a place like this. So I, I'm confused as to which way that goes. Funny that kids are allowed before five. Seems like not a family-friendly environment. But if I was a kid, I think I'd be into this. Chuck oh, yeah. E. Cheese who? I'd be like, let's go to the Karen Diner. But after five adults only, I bet stuff gets weird when people start drinking at the Karen Diner. Instead of happy hour, they have, you know, cranky entitled hour at the Karen I diner. think you're exactly right. And I wonder if it's part of this thing that you're allowed to throw food because we've seen enough of that behavior by Karen's as well. But I'm here to tell you, Atlanta, this Atlanta boo, if you think people aren't going to clap back, I don't know if it's going to last the, the full 48 hours. Not sure if it will. Viral Ventures owners added Levin, James Farrell behind this. Um, they've landed in hot water, though, we should tell you, over some employees taking the rude gimmick too far. Okay. Taking it too far. Last summer, staff member of Karen's Diner in Australia asked a 14 year old girl if she was there filming for porn site and called her father. A all right. That's about all we needed to hear about that. But hey, it's spreading across the continent. We'll see. Much more into Speedball when we come right back. I'm Sharon Reed and for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. Stay with us. Welcome back to Indisputable. A lot of you are reacting to Bank Karen is what we're calling her. So let's get you some of those comments. TYT member Lynn, Bank Karen was bouncing more than a check. It was true, Lynn. She was uh, animated. A very stable photographer says America's over medicated and under cared for. It does seem so. It definitely seems so. Let's go to YouTube. More about this uh Karen going off at the bank. Xena, the Egyptian dragon, says she's giving me female Hulk Hogan vibes. If she gets hurt or arrested, it just makes her stronger. Perhaps she did say, didn't she say, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to wait for the cops because I don't give, you know. Okay, Tyler Hackner says all Karens have a certain look and feel about them. I am Karen phobic. You wouldn't be alone, Tyler. And Julian Elliott says because the business model is to earn nominal profit. This is about that Karen theme opening in Atlanta with the least confrontation possible for a long period of time. Another, we'll give you one more. Ike Surge says this will end badly. I tend to agree. The only thing that gives me pause and makes me say that it, it might go off and, and be fine is that it's only 48 hours. They just got to get through 48 hours, pack up and hit the road. So we shall see. We shall see. Now, let's go to Tennessee, where we have to report a cop was busted for being a predator. An investigation led by the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation has resulted in Sharquan Henderson, a former Dyersburg police officer, being accused of having inappropriate sexual contact with a minor. 29th Judicial District Attorney General Danny Goodman initiated the investigation. On February 23rd, at the request of 29th Judicial District Attorney General Danny Goodman, TBI special agents began investigating allegations involving 29-year-old Sharquan Henderson. 
During the course of the investigation, agents developed information that Henderson, while employed as an officer of the Dyersburg Police Department, engaged in sexual activity with a juvenile in Dyer County. On April 10th, the Dyer County Grand Jury returned indictments charging Henderson with soliciting sexual exploitation of a minor by electronic means, an aggravated statutory rape. On Tuesday, Henderson surrendered to TBI agents at the Dyer County Jail and was booked on $10,000 bond. Well, this is sick and twisted. I always hate, and I understand that this was just a police document where they're saying that they were investigating inappropriate uh, sexual activity with a minor, because it takes me to my news anchor days where things would be written and come across the teleprompter that would say, today's story about an inappropriate relationship between a teacher and a student. It's not, it's not an inappropriate, an inappropriate relationship is when you kiss your friend's boyfriend, okay? It's not sex between an adult and a child. That's called rape. And I think we've conditioned ourselves to downplay it or say it's softer when it should be said aggressively, as aggressive and violent as the act is. This is someone who was put up in a position of power, someone who was supposed to protect and serve. And here we are again with a mugshot and disgusting acts outlined in an indictment. What say you about this one, Jessica? I feel like so frequently we hear about those responsible for enforcing the laws being the ones who break them. And we could talk about that ad nauseum, but all I'll say right now is law and justice are not the same. And to focus on people using their positions of power to abuse children, to rape children, it is mind boggling to me that that's what you want to use your power for. Why is someone in that position? Why does someone have that mentality? Why are we not putting more resources into exploring how someone gets to that point and preventing it? Because it's very difficult after the fact to say, oh, well, our officer did something bad. Are we going to investigate him? What will the consequences be? Because oftentimes when someone's in a position of power, there are not systems in place to hold them accountable. We've got to do something about addressing the problem at its root. But I think you're absolutely right that we need to talk about this with mm -hmm. the gravity of how serious this issue is. And it's always people in power that are saying, well, you know, it's an inappropriate relationship. Where do we draw the line of consent? Women are maturing so much faster than they used to. And they're talking about little girls. They're talking about minors. They're making excuses for a power dynamic where it's a child who doesn't know what's going on, or even if they do consent, what they are consenting to and why. We really need to investigate this thoroughly. We still have on the books in many states across the United States that it's legal to have child brides. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a distraction that people are talking about, you know, the yeah. LGBTQ plus community and transgender community as so, the yeah. source of this. I think you're exactly right. And I don't know, uh, there's, there's states and people in power who think a 12 year old should be married off and that's just fine. So you mentioned it, Jessica. Let's go to Missouri where we have this 
Republican who's defending letting parents marry off 12-year-olds. Actually defending it. Republican Missouri State Senator <laughs> Mike Moon. This is what the defended the rights of parents to marry off children as young as 12 years old. Yes, pre-teens is who we're talking about here, but I'll let Mr. Moon defend his own position. I've heard you talk about parents' rights to raise their kids how they want. In fact, I just double-checked, you voted no on making it illegal for kids to be married to adults at the age of 12 if their parents consented to it. You said actually that should be the law because it's the parents' right and the kids' right to decide what's best for them to be raped by an adult. Okay? Do you know any kids who have been With married marriage. at age 12? That was any, the law. You, know you voted kids? not to change it. Do you know any kids who have been married at age 12? I, I, I don't need to. I do. Uh, and guess what? They're still married. Gentlemen. It, shut up, Mr. Moon. It's just so ignorant and so pathetic. And it is rape. I don't care what laws on the books, even in Missouri. What on earth are you talking about? Well, I'll tell you. Moon made the remarks during a contentious debate over banning gender affirming affirming rather care for transgender minors in which Democrats state rep Peter Meredith, that's the voice you heard first, accused him of hypocrisy for supporting the bill despite positioning himself as a champion of parents' rights. You see, this stuff never adds up. It's incongruent, if you will. Most states do have, we should tell you, a minimum marriage age of 16, and advocacy groups have called for all states to set the minimum age to 18 with no exceptions. That's from Newsweek. It was in 2018 that Missouri passed a law raising its marriage age from 15 to a generous 16 that requires parental consent for older teenagers to marry. A bill that Moon said, nah, Miss T. Strick opposed it at the time. So Moon's horror show comments prompted much reaction, if you will, from quote unquote normal people out there, including Jess Piper, executive director for Blue Missouri and a nominee for state rep. The fact that Missouri Senator Mike Moon said that 12 year old girls can be married off to adults just sickens me. My daughter is nearly 11 and still plays with Barbies and her baby dolls. We're living in a hellscape in Missouri under a GOP supermajority. I think that that's about right. It's a hellscape. If you have lawmakers who are spewing that and nobody's leaping over the next desk to tackle them and maybe put them in a straight jacket and say, we've got to deprogram you and whatever's going on here. Other Twitter users followed suit, displaying more common sense. The picture gets me too. It's like, is this some crass HBO type series that we're watching that's not really true. Well, no, it's true. And there you see the other comments, okay? The Missouri Senator Mike Moon, he is an advocate for the marriage of 12-year-olds to adults. He says their marriages are long-lasting when they marry as children. I guess with no education or options, that makes sense, kind of like having a prisoner. Yeah, that's what it's called. Another user posted this, what in the world was that? Senator Mike Moon proud of the fact that he voted to protect the ability of 12 year olds to be married to adults. 
he spoke of someone he knew that married a 12-year-old and declared gleefully they're still married. Now, Jessica, first of all, I want him to name this couple. And not because I don't believe him. I actually think they may exist, sadly. But because we need to rescue this woman. We need to rescue the product of this marriage he speaks of, no matter how long ago the nuptials were performed. Yeah, a thousand percent. I mean, Mike Moon seems like a cartoon villain, especially with the mustache. It doesn't seem like a real person. The writers for the show of U.S. American politics are it's really something rich, better than fiction. Um, The only appropriate response that could have come from. Do you know how many children got married at 12 year old, 12 years old? Do you know the number? I was expecting upon first watch zero that that would have been acceptable and made me feel better. Not they're still married. That makes me 10 times more concerned and disgusted that this law is real. And this is coming from the same party that's pushing the denial of abortion rights in their state. So not only can you be forced into a marriage, you can be forced to carry a child under the United Nations definition of what a human rights violation is for forced pregnancy. This situation would absolutely qualify. So that's terribly concerning about the state of our nation. And it's coming from a party of people who are talking a lot about where are manly men, uh, what happened to manhood. It is not divinely masculine of you to want to manipulate someone into marrying you who can't consent and then force them to have your your child? Is that what you think a manly man is about? You shouldn't have to force someone to do that. To me, masculinity would be about, you know, leadership, strength, courage, making the people around you feel secure, not about forcing people to do things as a display of power because it's in your self-interest. That's disgusting. It's disgusting. It is horrific. And uh, Peter Meredith, for him to be the only one, that that lawmaker who challenged him and took him to task, and then he wasn't, had a chorus of people again saying, yeah, you, 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 you. I, I think that the silence here is deafening, okay? Much more indisputable. Dr. Rashad Ritchie has the day off. I'm joined by Jessica Burbank, who is our special guest co-host today. I'm Sharon Reed. Stay with us. Much more to come. Welcome back to Indisputable. I'm Sharon Reedin for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. Um, a lot of you are weighing in. A lot of you have something to say. YouTube member, the Jade Dragon says this, and thank you, Jade. Uh, I work at a grocery store. I always advocate for employees to stand up for themselves. The customer is not always right. I mean, you guys are still on the Karen, the bank Karen, and I don't blame you. She was something else. Um, <laughs> wow. C. Michael Henson says, thank you, C. Michael. Karen said, don't make me angry. You won't like me when I'm angry. I knew I saw her turning green. Hey, Sharon, was she at the tryouts for She-Hawk? I don't know. I haven't heard that she was there, but perhaps, as I said, um, it does seem like it was an audition, if you will. YouTube, about that Tennessee cop busted for being a predator. Jesus Raphael says, corrosion is not consent. Julian Elliott says $10,000 bond. This is laughable. Couldn't agree more. And Prince of Judah 79 says they wouldn't let their daughters do it. I'm sure talking about that Missouri Republican, Mr. Moon, 
defending the rights of parents to marry off their 12-year-old girls. Hmm. No, thanks. This next story, though, um, well, we have to warn you that it's, um, it may make you lose your appetite. Fast food workers caught being intimate on an intercom. Your mic is on. Your mic's hot. Uh, let's roll it. So what we're going to do here is let you pay attention to the facial expressions because it really says it all. You pull up, you just want a taco, and instead you hear moaning and, well, whatever's going on is going on. And it's undeniable. It's also unmistakable. Something you might pay for on. Again, just wants to eat. Pulled up to the drive-thru, fast food. And instead, somebody was playing fast and loose in the back. TikToker thought she was pulling up to a drive-thru to order Mexican food. Yeah. But instead stumbled on what she believes was two employees engaging in illicit activities while on the job. Whole thing went down at about 4.30 a.m. Aha. <laughs> After a night out, when the user says she pulled into a Filberto's restaurant in Tucson, Arizona, instead of being greeted by a worker ready to take her order, TikToker says she heard employees having sex through the drive-through speaker. Video she uploaded that captured the alleged sex noises had been liked over 650,000 times, viewed more than 10 million times. She urged her viewers to listen, caution them that it may change their views on the eatery. After this, you guys are not going to want to ever go and visit any Filberto's, she said. The chain operates in three states and across 55 locations. Most commenters agreed and were shocked by her discovery, but others found humor in the incident. I'd never been to or heard of this Filberto's uh, Mexican eatery, but I am quite curious what else is going on there, okay? And what came to mind was that other chain restaurant with roots here in Atlanta. They, they always say, my pleasure, after, that's, that's their signature <laughs> phrase, okay? They say, my pleasure, okay? Here, they didn't have to say it, if you will, Jessica. I don't want to eat at a place where someone is actively engaged in extracurricular activity. I don't want that taco. It's the best diet plan ever, if you ask me, but that's just me. Yeah, my first reaction was nobody wants to work anymore. Uh, I'm kind of stuck between. Uh, <laughs> so where where is it? So I know not to eat there. OK, it's in Tucson. No chance I'm going to eat there. But then, you know, my second reaction was, you know, act your wage. Are we paying fast food workers enough to be on the clock at 430 in the morning? Uh, they're acting their wage, maybe. But also the sanitary aspect of this. You can't eat at everybody's house and apparently not at every restaurant. I worked in the restaurant industry for some time, and I will say, I believe this is unfortunately more common than oh, people stop. who eat at restaurants would like to know about. Girl, stop. Please don't do that. <laughs> Sorry, sure. Please don't do this. This is, a, I haven't cooked in years. Okay, please. I'm begging you. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll keep following this story. I hope you're wrong. God, I hope you're wrong. Because, okay. But you're right. Raise, raise the minimum wage, and maybe you wouldn't have this problem. People would want to work harder and be more respectful. If not, 
They gonna do what they gonna do. Ex-NFL player attacks his mother and the mother of his child. This is so sad. Put him up. According to the allegation, the former Jets first round pick, Darren Lee was arrested in Ohio on Monday. He's accused of beating his own mother and then the mother of his two-year-old son. The irony is unbelievable as to why the mother was even there. According to Franklin County Sheriff's records, Lee is charged with two counts of misdemeanor assault, two counts of misdemeanor domestic violence. Lindsay McGlone, the mother of Lee's son, reportedly called police in Dublin, Ohio on Monday afternoon and said Lee was assaulting his mother, Candace Lee. After hearing Candace's screaming upstairs, uh, the uh, Lindsay reportedly told police she went up, saw Candace lying on her back with Miss Lee over top of her with raised fist. Candace Lee reportedly told police that she came to the house because Lindsay said she did not feel safe in the home with Darren Lee. Candace said her son was lying on the floor in an upstairs bedroom and that he became incensed when she told him he had to leave the house allegedly screaming at her, pushing her against the wall, throwing her to the ground, punching her in the face. She was transported to the hospital with head pain and swelling in one cheek. Lindsay also accused Lee of previous domestic violence incidents from last October, saying the ex-jet became violent with her when he suspected her of cheating. Lindsay told police that Lee got on top of her in the bed, threatened her, that he would kill her and their child. She also claimed that he punched a pillow on the side of her and grabbed her throat. Lindsay told police that Lee threw a phone against the wall so hard that it bounced off, hit her in the head and made her ear bleed. The former linebacker was also accused of grabbing Lindsay by the neck, swinging her to the ground. Lee reportedly told police that she struck him in the face during the October incident and denied having thrown an object at her or grabbing her neck. Police charged Lee in connection with the incident after they looked at photos from the injuries and the broken phone. And a diary entry from the day of the alleged altercation. Um, For someone to engage in this level of violence against anyone inside of a home, obviously, uh, this is not a sustainable situation. Uh, The person needs to be outside of that home uh, in jail, hopefully getting help uh, to return back to society. Uh, but this has a different twist to it, A.B. According to the mama, he jumped on his own mother in the process of jumping on someone else. And the reason the mother is there is because the mother of his child was in fear and wanted some stopgap. And listen, some people may say, well, well, why wouldn't you just leave? Why would you call the mother? Because you would assume the mother can have a level of control over her child, especially if they have a good relationship. So I'm sure that was part of the reasoning behind that call. But damn, A.B. thoughts. Yeah, so first and foremost, we probably shouldn't make any type of assumptions when it comes to domestic violence victims because you just never know what that situation entails and why the victim made the decision that they made. But in this case, we see that domestic 
people who are violent domestically seem to recidivate more than other criminals, right? And so I think we should not just look at it as a crime, but look at it as what helps, like what services can Mm. we provide to help this population of people? Because why do you think that expressing yourself in this way is the appropriate manner to resolve a conflict? Because that's what you have here. Um, I hope that both parties, both victims that were harmed can get some sort of help and services. But I also hope that there is help and service for this young man and some sort of healing because this is dangerous. And this is something that we see in our communities a lot of times. And we are seeing a lot of athletes um, be responsible for domestic violence and being in these domestic disputes. And so I don't know if it's the sports or if it's the injuries or what it is, but there definitely needs to be more um, investigation into why we continue to see this type of behavior from um, individuals or participating in sports. Well said. We'll move on. A short man, shorter. Um, Listen, I don't know another way to put it, but he wanted some growth. He wanted some height. So he spent $165,000 to get it. Five more inches. Someone do the math. Five inches, $165,000. It was worth it to him. His name is Moses Gibson, and he's from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Five foot five inches, that's the adult height he was born into. He underwent leg surgery to add five more to his height after spending years struggling to talk to women due to self-doubt over his stature. Gibson said he had been insecure about his height since just 15. After he saw other boys his age go through growth spurts, which he didn't experience. 41-year-old spent years dealing with unkind comments about his smaller size, which he admitted ate away to self-confidence and left him plagued with insecurities that severely affected his dating life So in a desperate attempt to get taller, he tried taking medicine, even reached out to spiritual healer online who insisted they could help him grow. But after other options failed, Moses eventually decided he was going to do it. He was going to go under the knife to increase his size. Over several years, he received two excruciatingly painful cosmetic procedures that, again, cost him $165,000. He chose to have his legs broken and sit up like that so that he could grow. Now, the surgery involved doctors, as we said, breaking Moses' tibia and fibula bones and screwing magnetic limb-lengthening nails into them. He had to use a height-lengthening device three times a day, which pulls the cut bones apart one millimeter at a time. This encourages his body to create new bone tissue, which will fill the gap until his desired height is achieved. Can you imagine? He had to pull the trigger on this. After undergoing the procedures, Gibson went from standing 5'5 to 5'10. Look at the before and after. And as we look at it, look at the way he's standing, look at how his body language has changed. Let's talk about that, Jessica. Mm. He didn't do this to himself. He didn't choose, he couldn't possibly choose the height he would be. It's just 
how it is. It's in the DNA. Five, five. So many are guilty of teasing and commenting on a man who does not have such stature. So this was done to him. He looks happier, though. Can we put it up one more time? He looks happier on the right. Because my question was going to be, and maybe it should still be, Jessica, to you, is, isn't it a shame that he had to go through such pain? That he chose to go through such pain to get five more inches. But to him, it's worth it, I guess, to exist in the world as we know it. I don't know if there's a question in there, but I do want to hear your take. Yeah, Sharon, it's short King spring. He's not even going to get to celebrate this season, which is very sad. Uh, I like this kind of narrative, short kings, to uplift men who feel bad about themselves because they're short. Uh, but maybe that doesn't make them feel better at all, this narrative of the short king. $165,000, five inches, that's $33,000. Thank goodness you did the match. That's, yeah, I, I did the math. I listen when you ask us of something, Sharon. But um, women get surgery so often to modify their appearance and also feel more confident. And we don't talk about it as much. We're kind of used to it in society. But breaking the bones feels a little bit more. But I think so many women had to take risks and have these dangerous procedures for us to develop the procedures into something that is safe for many women to do and, and heal from. We don't hear about men doing it as much. And you're right that it's the societal pressure to look a certain way and be a certain way that puts you in the position where you want to do something like this to your body but you can tell he feels a lot better and so if it makes you feel better should you be able to do it i think so but it's still sad yeah it is sad and i but i agree with you and i think that to go through these extreme measures it's not like we hear about these these kids maybe in a certain state out west who are getting younger and younger and having you know i want breast implants i want my lips and eyes and whatever else to look like you know a member of a famous family who owns a billion dollar cosmetic company, maybe, okay? Or maybe she just told Forbes that, where was I? But at the same time, this is a man who'd been through so much and he was of a certain age and he had tried so many things. So if anyone knew what they were getting into and said, I'm going for it wholeheartedly, Moses. But the part where each day he had to activate something, I, I pictured a button or I don't know, maybe he had to screw something and it would pull the bones apart more. There's not enough morphine in the world, okay? Unless you just wanna find love and women won't entertain you. And we should tell you, there's this study regarding height-related dating preferences. So it's real, it's not imagined. According to a research study in 1980 at St. Thomas University, records of couples' bank accounts revealed that only one out of 720 couples had a taller female. Moreover, a more recent study in 2014 conducted in collaboration with the University of North Texas and Rice University found among a sample of Yahoo dating platform users that only 13.5% of males had a firm preference for shorter women, while 48.9% of females reported they would only date taller men. You see, I, I dated all kinds. Some of the taller ones were jerks too, but we don't have to get into that. And I'm not gonna name names on this episode, okay? So watch how you talk about me.
because it could be on another episode. They won't have that seven second delay here. Okay. So it might come out, <laughs> but short, tall. I don't, I think it's about the way a man or whoever your prospective partner is presents more than anything else. Because I've dated quote unquote shorter guys who I didn't even realize it. Okay. I didn't even realize it, Jessica, because they presented in a way that was full and tall, so to speak. Yes. Right. Yeah. I could not agree more. I mean, you could see a picture of somebody, know how tall they are, but it's really about the their vibe in person. Are they confident? In those two pictures we saw side by side before and after the surgery, is the energy what we're attracted to or is it the height? And mm. did the height change bring the energy, you know? And so it really is about confidence and everybody's different. And I agree, I've dated all different kinds of people. Some of the ones that were the most gifted with genetics were some of the worst yeah. people to be around. I mean, they many have to work for it. This. Yeah, no, I agree. Moses, um, we hope you're happy uh, through yeah. all that painfulness. It had to be painful. I mean, there's another male surgery, okay, that I've heard about that is perhaps more painful, but that would be the only one that's more painful that also involves growth uh but we hope that this is it and moses has found love and so we're gonna go to break clean it up a little bit at least i'll clean up my act and uh, much more <laughs> indisputable when we come right back you all were feeling it too welcome back to indisputable i'm sharon reed in for dr rashad ritchie this small package is full of heart and promise black child genius stunning nasa NASA scientists, okay? David Belogan, the nine-year-old protege who continues to amaze the world with his impressive smart shot, NASA scientist. Isn't he cute? Bet he hates that. He was on a recent trip to the Space Telescope Science Institute. Nine-year-old is one of the youngest high school grad, nine years old, and he's a high school graduate. Receiving his diploma, from Reach Cyber Charter School in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. After graduation, Logan was invited by NASA and the Maryland-based Sports Telescope Science Institute to visit the James Webb Space Telescope Mission Operations Center in Baltimore. His story made headlines, and Hannah Braun, the Institute's spokesperson, said the team just had to meet him. I had actually seen David's story all over social media and thought, wow, I bet he'd find a trip to Webb's Mission Operations Center exciting, Braun told Atlanta Black Star. What they didn't know was that he was going to teach them a thing or two, all without being on this earth for even 10 years yet. We don't have children visit the center, really, besides families of employees on occasion. So the crew didn't quite know what to expect with David. Hmm. In his orange NASA spacesuit. The scientists who provided the tour were instantly impressed with the child's knowledge of the science. In the flight control room, Belogan watched them do a mock-up for the sound check, a process done with astronauts before they take off, described as inquisitive. The young genius started talking about something they had never heard of before, Super Saturn. What's that? Braun recalled asking. 
So then we got to Googling. Logan already had his career plan set with his eyes set on being an astrophysicist, chemist, engineer, and software designer. All of those, okay? Not one, all. But before that, he is prepping for college. Black Enterprise reported that most would think Logan would go to Harvard. But his father, Henry, is doing research on what the best fit will be. Am I going to throw my nine-year-old into Harvard while I'm living in Pennsylvania? No. This is the real Doogie Hauser with brighter eyes and a bigger real future here. I don't know what it is, but I'm in love with this kid. And I feel like, Jessica, he had these NASA scientists on their heels and kind of like looking up, if you will, maybe if they were seated, to him. And I think that that's beautiful. Yeah, I think that's great. I love that. Uh, why is it that the, the smartest people are the people that we deem the smartest? Why are they at NASA? Why do they all want to focus on not this planet? I don't know. Maybe there's something yeah. to be said for that. I also love that this kid has not been shoved into one field, right? We're always told, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you pick one thing, and that's the thing. I love this idea of a new renaissance after you know the plague in the past. We had the renaissance. Maybe we're due for another. People should be allowed to contain multitudes. You should be allowed to do many things. You don't need to be shoved into one niche. So I think that's one of my favorite things about this kid as well. I want to know what Super Saturn is. Me my too. brain went to astrology. <laughs> I was like, oh, Mercury's in retrograde and we're experiencing Super Saturn right now. Very fascinating. Uh, it's definitely something more than that, though. But this is a beautiful story. Yeah, it is a beautiful story. And I like the parents. Either this is who they are. They're saying all the right things when they say they're not going to just throw them up there to Harvard. He's a kid and he should be allowed to explore and do as he wishes with his family support. And I don't know, it popped into my mind. What if one day he decides I don't want to be any of those things? I want to be a rapper. And I think do whatever you want. Maybe he'll rap about Super Saturn or something. I don't know. But I think um, the sky's the limit, if you will, um, for him. I'll give you the last word. Yeah, I agree. I would like to hear him rap as well. <laughs> I think that would be fun. Most people that I consider geniuses have some musical talent. So I don't know. When's the album dropping? I'll listen. Well, we salute you, David, and keep teaching NASA scientists about their craft, if you will. And no matter where you go or what you want to be or who you are, um, we'll be rooting for you. Uh, tell people where they can find you, Jessica. I always um, enjoy sitting with you. Yes, always. New podcast that's coming out Friday called Funny Money. Excited about that. And then on all of the social media and Substack at K.A. Burbank. Always a pleasure. Thank you. And this is Indisputable. I'm Sharon Reed and for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. I'm back tomorrow. I hope you'll join us.